Welcome back to the DHD podcast. Your guide to Stargate SG1 episode by episode. This is the second episode of our show, episode 103, The Enemy Within. Thank you to everyone who listened to Children of the Gods, uh, episode 101 and 102. Put that out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, had to take a week's break because life got in the way, but we're going to be getting on top of this now. I got I got to batch record some of these and get ahead of myself because I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks at the beginning of October. So we're going to. Tr- I'm going to try and get ahead of myself a little bit. But again, I'm recording on the day I'm going to put this out. The Enemy Within, the first uh, regularly aired episode. This is no longer a pilot episode. This is a, a full episode proper of this series. And it's a very interesting one. I actually like it quite a lot, though I think it's an interesting choice um, to not go off-world in the first proper episode. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit, I think, as we go in. Uh but yeah, I'm going to go through this episode, got some more clips from the episode that I want to talk about, and uh, I want to talk about the themes of this episode. This is a really thematically rich episode. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, there's a lot of stuff that necessarily doesn't is thematically a little bit out of place with Stargate, but it's still kind of fun. Uh, you know, there's a lot of episodes like that in Stargate where it goes a bit out of genre, and this kind of deviates into into horror quite a bit this is an episode with a lot of horror elements to it um and it's a sort of fairly classic trope of horror um if you remember where we left at the end of children of the gods obviously we'd saved all the people from julak uh, they'd come through and kowalski's eyes glowed after we saw that a larval gold sort of jumped into him as he was trying to help someone on the ground in chulak so uh that that that's the focus of this episode that's where we go with this um we do open with them debating where they're going to go next on their first official off-world missions is sg1 and sg2 uh they're going to go to planets with designations p3575 and p3a577 now obviously we don't know if these planets have names we're not going to name them ideally uh i hope we don't just go around naming the planets we land on um where does this come from this is something that i thought about that interested me uh, when we were first watching this episode, I was like, where do these come from? Um, it's explained in a couple of episodes' time that these are codes from the program Carter uses to adjust the cartouche addresses. So these are sort of a spit out with a, a designation to identify them, and they just use that. Um, throughout the series, there, there are P's, M's, K's, and B's. It appears that P refers to planet and M refers to moon. moon. K's and B's, who knows? That's a little bit more up in the air but those are the four letters we'll hear um but yeah so we start this talking about going off world but this isn't an off world episode this is a base episode it's an episode where uh we don't necessarily go anywhere generally these sorts of bottle episodes if you like are uh for budgetary reasons but it's unlikely that that would be first in the season that they would need to cut the budget this first episode um so I don't really know why they decided to do this. I couldn't really find any explanation for why they decided to do it. I think it's a bold choice, but I think it pays off. Throughout this episode, we see the themes of the family. We see the themes of the relationships, of the loyalty, of the honor. Um, that for me made this such a compelling series. The genuine bond between O'Neill and Kowalski that we see strained throughout this episode. Uh, the bond forming between Teal and O'Neill, the bond between Sam and Daniel... 
and the, the bond between Hammond and O'Neill. We see these bonds forming and being broken in some cases throughout this episode in a way that really builds this family and builds the team and builds that part of the world. There's also some really interesting world building, really useful world building. Um, the base is somewhat under siege. Uh, the gold keep dialing in to throw things at the iris. Uh, there's some debate over whether or not it's people who they're, they're sending through. It's it's definitely people. There are definitely people being slammed against the iris. Uh, Kowalski, who was the king of bad ideas in the pilot, once again offers his input on what they should do. Part of me just wants to let them through, give them the fight they're looking for. After the gate shuts down, the radiation team move in, uh, and we cut back for a bit more chatting in the gate of chatting in the control room, and then we cut back to the gate. And the blue backlight is still on, even though the gate is turned off and we can't hear the gate. One of two significant production goofs in this episode early on. Uh, yeah, the blue backlight is still on behind the Stargate, which is very, very weird. Um, and really, that sh- is something they should avoid in future. Uh, Kowalski has a headache. Of course, we know that this is what it is. Uh, but O'Neill sends him down to the infirmary saying he needs him healthy. Uh, and Hammond says, oh, you know, I need you to lead your team, which that's just a bad sign, isn't it? We know that's not, we know, just know that's not happening. When he says, I need you to lead your team to this place, we know he's not going to lead his team to that place. Um, again, this is the start of the slight horror elements is that we know there's something more sinister going on, but no one else knows there's something more sinister going on. And you're sort of screaming at the TV like, no, we have to do something about this. Take it seriously. But yeah. Uh, of course, the title, The Enemy Within, again, I quite like the title. It has two threads, uh, two sort of meanings in this episode. The Enemy Within, of course, the gold within Kowalski is the enemy within. Uh, but the second thread also refers, also refers to Teal'c and whether or not we have allowed an enemy into our midst and whether or not we should trust him. And that's a really interesting debate that goes on throughout this episode. Um, I'm going to play some clips from as we go through. So yeah, the gold dial in again uh, as the the titles roll. Teal'c is not going to be allowed to join SG-1. O'Neill and Hammond bicker about him and his status and uh, whether or not he should be allowed to join SG-1, the fact that he's an enemy combatant, the fact that he carries a gold with him, and they both kind of make pretty good points. So I want to play a a decent chunk of that conversation and then talk about it. You'll be asking your friends some questions. kind of questions? What we're up against, troop strength, technology, weaponry. I'd like to know the answers to those questions too, sir. But after they're done asking... There'll be more questions. Possibly test. After all, he's carrying the larval form of a hostile and very formidable enemy inside his body. What kind of tests are we talking about? Maybe you haven't noticed, Colonel, but he is the first alien species we've actually run into. You don't think that qualifies your friend as a subject of scientific interest? A subject? He is what he is, Colonel. With all due respect, sir, I don't think he saved the lives of my team or came over to our side so we could become a damn guinea pig for U.S. military intelligence. Back up, Colonel. He switched sides once. Are you 100% positive he won't switch back? Yes, sir. Well, you are alone in that assertion. So you can see why the enemy within also refers to Teal. While obviously Teal should have individual rights and, and he is humanoid uh, and we'll come to discuss that later in the episode as well the level of fear and distrust is kind of understandable at this point 
we don't really know the difference between adult and larval golds and their influence over the hosts. For all anyone knows, the gold within Teal could have the same power as the gold within Apophis and is just pretending to be human. And that's something that's, uh, that gold will be able, are able to do. And we'll see that later in this episode as well. To pretend that Teal is friendly, but in actual fact, it's the goal the whole time. So I think uh, it's the, the caution is a little bit warranted. I mean, I'm pretty sure if in real life an enemy combatant defected, they wouldn't immediately be put on SEAL Team 6. And that's effectively what SG-1 is. They are the front line. They are the crack team. They're the team that, uh, uh, you know, we have to look look after. They're the team that, that are, we're putting the biggest stock in. So yeah, so Enil goes to see him, the tail can see him to give him the, the bad news, and we see another spectacular production goof. Uh, Teal's Apophis head symbol is upside down. If you go back and watch this episode, the, the curve of the middle of the serpent is facing upwards, when in every other scene in the, spoilers, entirety of SG-1, the, 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 the bulge points down the way. So... How they didn't go back and fix this, I don't know. How no one noticed. But it's still there. It's in the show. And God love it. It's it's wonderful. How did this happen? I have so many questions. Um, another really interesting dialogue and really interesting conversation here that I, I like quite a lot between Apophis and Teal'c. Uh, O'Neill is a little bit gleeful, as we saw in the control room as well, about gold warriors potentially being killed coming through the gate. Teal'c is less so. So, how long do you think they'll keep it up? One, perhaps two more attempts. They will believe their weapons have destroyed you. They will not send warriors through for some time to make sure of your destruction. I'll be in for a surprise, huh? Your iris will be closed. They will be crushed. Surprise. I think it's reasonable that Teal'c is, is less enthused about this than O'Neill, because Teal'c knows what is likely happening as Jafar are being sent through to try and invade. These Jafar who are slaves, they're, they're just like Teal'c. They're, they don't really have any choice over what they're doing. They're being sent to their death. And it's a little bit crass of O'Neill to be being so gleeful when it could just as easily be Teal'c on that other side of the iris. Um, just as this dialogue is is interesting and intriguing and well written, suddenly Teal'c asks Teal'c asks about O'Neill in the third person and it's super weird. Why is O'Neill not afraid? So yeah, this, this whole scene for me sums up th these a lot of these early episodes. Some of the dialogue is wonderful. It's almost Sorkin-esque, uh, you know, I love my West Wing and West Wing Weekly. Some of the dialogue is, is wonderful, and, and so the, particularly in that Hammond O'Neill scene originally. And then some of it is super weird and cliche sci-fi. Teal doesn't talk in the or refer to people in the third person very often. It's very odd that he's just decided to do it in this one sentence. I don't get it. All right. Kowalski gets checked out by a young doctor who notices the entry wound, and then we see the gold travel up his back, like alien style, like it's going to burst out of him. Uh, it takes control and Kowalski chokes out the doctor, so we know bad things are about to start happening. Uh, but it goes, it's quite low-key at this point. So the gold has taken over, and as Daniel and Sam are giving a briefing on the DHD, which also gives a little bit of fun exposition, Dan Daniel and Sam are very much 
used as exposition in this episode. It's all about O'Neill and Teal'c, O'Neill and Hammond and O'Neill and Koski. It's a very O'Neill-centred episode and centred on those three relationships for him, those two brotherly relationships and that sort of fatherly relationship with Hammond. Sam and Daniel very much for exposition, so they give us a bit of exposition on the DHD. They see Kowalski in the, quote, embarkation room, which uh, does get changed to gate room at some point because it's just better. Embarkation room. Ugh, I don't like that. That's not good. Um, so SG-1 and Hammond go grab Kowalski, who doesn't remember how he got there. So they take Kowalski back to the infirmary, and in a good, again, horror movie trope, there's a little bit of dark comedy in here where Kowalski's sitting in the infirmary and O'Neill is frantically trying to get a doctor to come see him. He's like, oh, where's the doctor? He Was he here before? And Kowalski's like, I don't know if he was here before. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> I like it. The doctor's nowhere to be found because we know the doctor is a dead. But, of course, nobody else knows that. So Dr. Warner, who apparently happens to conveniently be the chief surgeon, comes in, they're going to do an MRI... Uh, to see what's going on with Kowalski. Meanwhile, Teal'c is brought to meet with Colonel Kennedy from the Pentagon uh, to talk about what Teal'c can offer. Teal'c pledges his allegiance to Earth and promises to share his knowledge, but he doesn't actually seem to know anything about the technology the gold, the gold use. This is an interesting uh, bit of world-building in this conversation. The meeting shows us a little bit more, in a kind of subtle way, actually, um, so Kennedy asks Teal'c about the physics behind the Stargate, the technology of the gold power sources, and Teal'c doesn't know anything, even though Teal'c was not just a, a regular Jaffa, he was the first prime. He was the the, the head of, the, of Apophis' army. He is still not allowed to know how the technology he uses works. He says the knowledge of gold magic is forbidden. And of course it's not magic, it's science and technology. But if the Jaffa knew that it was science and technology, then uh, they might not see them as gods. And that's part of the problem. And it's part of how the golds exert their control. Uh, at this point, O'Neill joins them. Permission to barge in, sir? And then we get another sort of world-building revelation. Uh, Teal discusses that the the human world, the worlds across the galaxy are, are populated by humans. Uh, the gold found a planet. Oh, sorry, we don't necessarily humans. The gold found a, a primitive planet uh, a millennia ago and took hosts from there, took slaves from there, and spread that population around the galaxy to sort of create their empire from scratch. And it's then revealed to Teal that that Ra did this. Ra came to Earth and took slaves and then we buried the stargate and rose up against him and from putting two two together the earth is likely the tari which is uh, means the first ones in the gold language the planet from which most life in the galaxy was seeded uh, it's quite earth's uh, you know self-centered to have this be the premise of the sci-fi but it's actually quite a good uh, conceit for the show it means that there's a good reason why so many of the people we meet on other planets are going to be basically human. Uh, and Teal'c is effectively human as well. So that's kind of where we uh, we establish that, which is pretty good. Meanwhile, Kurt and Daniel have to, tell, have to progress the story a little bit further. Kurt tells Daniel to get some sleep, which turns out to be horrible advice, as we get a little bit of a jump scare. Daniel jumps into this bottom bunk and as he does it dislodges the arm of the dead doctor which is in the bunk above him it flops down into screen and he goes up and sees this kind of slightly gruesome dead doctor 
on the upper bunk. Just as that happens, they've found the symbiote on the MRI, uh, which angers the symbiote again. It takes over again. Again, it tries to get through the gate, attacking people in the control room, including Carter. Uh, but that's not going to work. Carter's closed the blast doors. They've shut it down. Uh, O'Neill chases, chases the gold off, but the gold takes Sam hostage. So when they can't get through the gate, he takes the lift to try and get out of the base. Carter tries to use the emergency phone, and the, uh, the gold knocks her out against the wall. And then suddenly we see that somebody's pressed the emergency stop button. Daniel and Hammond and O'Neill are there waiting to, to get the doors open. As we open the doors, Kowalski is in there screaming for help uh, because Carter's hurt bad. He doesn't know what's going on. He has blacked out again, so he's back. This is the complicated part where, you know, well, what does he know? What, what is What is happening? Obviously, we know it's the gold. And it's wrapped around his spine. He, he's on this weird sort of tilting massage table so he can I don't know, poke around his back and his spine. It's a little bit undignified. Um, but it's a, it's an infant from a Jaffa so that's why it hasn't taken over completely. Uh, we saw that of course. We know that from Children of the Gods. We know it's from a Jaffa. So that makes sense. The surgery is complicated. It's wrapped all the way around his spine and it could cripple him but they want it to be done. Kowalski's pretty horrified when he finds out what he's done, that he's killed someone, that he's hurt people. And the, and the, the scoring on this also has a lot of horror elements. When I was out, did I hurt anybody? There's one man dead, a few more hurt. <sighs> Captain Carter's going to be all right. I was just going to go check on her, actually. Oh, I didn't mean that. No. She doesn't blame you. You're not responsible, Charlie. It's not your fault. It's that damn thing that's inside of you. Look, as soon as they know how to do it, they'll cut it out of you. Right now, you gotta fight it. I don't mind telling you. This is scaring me big time. So after establishing that with Kowalski, Kennedy, Hamner, and will go see Teal'c. And it's something that it kind of took me a minute to figure out why they were doing. They want to check, they want to see his gold and see that he still carries it. Because they want to check that his gold hasn't jumped out of him and into Kowalski. Which sounds ridiculous. Especially as Kowalski sort of offered an explanation in the previous scene of uh, of when he thinks it happened. But I, I think it's fair enough to check. You know, because you've got to cover your bases. Um, Teal warns them against removing it, saying that the, the gold can kill, can kill Kowalski if it feels threatened. Um, so instead they go to try and talk to the gold. And that goes about as well as you'd expect. If you leave this man's body, we will allow you to live and send you back through the Stargate in your natural this form. This body is mine. If you're unwilling to leave, we will be forced to surge it. Hold Release me now or I will destroy you. Do not attempt to escape. I command you. We will open fire. So with the gold unwilling to leave Kowalski voluntarily, uh, they decide they're going to cut out. However, Kennedy, who is the the first in a long line of outsider uh, military figures who try and frustrate the the Stargate Command decisions, uh, they want him to keep the gold in him so they can try and access its knowledge. However, that seems very unlikely it's ever going to share the knowledge. I mean, we just saw what it was like when we tried to talk to it. Hammond's not interested. They're going to cut it out. Hammond says, well, I'll, th- I'll phone the president. If you're going to be a prick about it, I'll phone the president. Um, 
they're, so the, we cut to the scene where they're testing the anesthetic on Teal'c symbiote, which seems very barbaric. They sort of got it scooped out of him and held in the, held in like a vice. It looks very very weird and medieval. Um, but that, so that's the plan. They're going to use the anesthetic to try and stop the gold from killing Kowalski because they're going to it's going to be anesthetized. Um, the surgery seems to be very successful, and they remove a massive amount of symbiote from him, like like a meter of symbiote. Um, I don't think it should be that long. We'll see if it continues to be that long when we see symbiotes in further episodes. Um, since the gold is dead and has been removed, Kennedy's going to take Teal to Langley with him. Hammond fights for Teal in this scene, this conversation between Hammond and Kennedy, showing the duality of the position and the, the subtlety and the, the deafness with which Hammond has to walk this line. He fights for what he thinks is right to his superiors to try and get them to make the right decision, but he then has to defend those decisions to his subordinates, even when he trusts as much as O'Neill. You do realize that without his cooperation in finding an anesthetic, the operation might have been a failure. I think we owe him something. Unfortunately, Tilk is now carrying the only living Gould available for study. And we do need to study it, sir. Make no mistake on that. These aliens are possibly the greatest threat this country has ever known. I'm well aware of the threat, Colonel. This facility is the front line. It's the reason this command exists. We just go about things differently around here. Kowalski asks to see Tilk to thank him for his help in the successful surgery. But it's pretty clear something's up. It's not explicit, but it seems that Tilk can suss out straight away that the gold is still in control. Uh, the gold, I think, realises the game is up, reveals itself, and chokes out Teal'c. So here we go again, back through the base, after karate chopping a, gold, a guard in the neck, uh, Kowalski escapes from his room. Hammond and O'Neill are arguing about Teal'c, and the gold once again tries to get through the gate, interrupting their conversation. Uh, this time it also sets the auto-destruct, which ties up Hammond O'Neill in the control room and stops them being able to come down to try and stop him in the embarkation room. But Teal'c is there. Teal'c has recovered from being choked unconscious. Uh, they fight. Only one Hammond can only watch on from the control room. And O'Neill has this bright idea to cut off the top of Kowalski's head by holding it through the gate and disengaging the wormhole. I don't know that we How do we know that that was going to happen? Hmm... I'm a little confused by that. I don't know that we know for certain that that's what happens when something's like partially through a wormhole. But uh, it does work. They chop off the top of Kowalski's head. Uh, Teal lets him go and he drops. He thumps to the ground. And as he turns, we get a good shot of his nicely sliced open head. Uh, and the tiny little bit of gold sort of cr crawls out of him and dies. Um, it's singed by the, the wormhole. Again, very horror. Yeah, that tiny little thing was what caused all that destruction. So yeah, there you go. Uh, Teal'c and O'Neill have a little moment, and O'Neill acknowledges that Kowalski didn't survive the surgery. As Teal'c tells uh, the doctor, just as after they'd been attacked, says that the symbiote was one, and it, it was deceiving us. It was hiding itself the whole time. It made made everyone think the surgery was successful in hope of escaping. Uh we get a final little bit of useful Dan and Sa Daniel and Sam exposition. Sam points out that only Kowalski could have known the code for the self-destruct. So something of the memories and the knowledge of the host must survive. And that is good news for our goal of rescuing Sharae and Skara, which is, which is always going to be in the back of the mind on these early episodes. Uh, we end the episode with an iconic shot of them walking through the gate, which was which is in the titles for much of Stargate, SG-1 embarking on their first, probably their first official mission. 
and Teal joins them. Teal is allowed to join the team after helping to save Kowalski, after helping to defend the base from the Goa World. He's now trusted. The team is now complete, and the series can properly get underway. So that's the enemy within. That is everything that goes on this episode. I think this is a really interesting episode. The themes are really great. I love the elements of horror that are brought in. You know, they're not particularly scary, but, you know, it's definitely a little a little bit more horror or thriller than a lot of these episodes. Um, and we see that in some of these early episodes, a little bit darker themes, and that's, you know, we talked about the nudity in Children of the Gods, the sort of more adult, slightly darker edge that Showtime were looking for. That's kind of what they get here as well, that little bit, that peril, the, the horror elements of that, and a little bit of horror scoring as well, which is really interesting, which shows that that isn't, that, you know, it's very intentional. The way that it's scored is not just the way we're interpreting them. There's a lot of really good dialogue, really good relationship building, really good building of the the team and the dynamics, particularly that relationship between Jack and uh, between O'Neill and Teal, which is one of my favorites. That relationship, uh, and it, it gives us a little bit more world building as well. So we know a little bit about the relationship between the Jaffa and the Gold. We know why there's going to be humans on every planet. We know that there's potentially a chance that we can save Sharae and Scara from being hosts to Golds, and it sets us up for a lot of what's going to come without necessarily being more just a sort of extension of the pilot which you know Stargate Universe did a three-part pilot where the third part was slightly was kind of different but it was still the pilot um this felt a little bit less like that and more like its own discrete episode so yeah that's the enemy within uh, you can give me your thoughts on Facebook, on, on Twitter, uh, at DHDPod, facebook.com forward slash DHDPod. Next week, we're going to talk about episode 104. And unfortunately, the streak does not continue, spoilers. Uh, episode 104, one of the most discussed episodes of these early, the, the, the early episodes, Emancipation. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the problems with it. I'm going to talk about the themes in that as well next week on the podcast. Thank you very much to everyone who's listening. Please uh, share this episode. Give us a review on iTunes. Download it from iTunes. Play it on SoundCloud as well. Share it with your friends. Uh, tweet about it. Comment on Facebook. Give us all your interaction. And I hope you're enjoying this journey through SG1 on the first couple of steps that we've taken. As I say we're back next week with Emancipation. Thank you very much for listening to the DHD podcast. <laughs>